final week of the church. Here we go. We'll be closing this up today. And our last section, we're talking about the ordinances of the church. Okay? We went through origin, definition, purpose, and we're kind of in this last segment of ordinances. And primarily, we had talked about last time that the church has two ordinances that it observes. Baptism, we talked about last time, and the Lord's Supper, i.e. communion. That's what we commonly call it here. And so just kind of a refresher here, um, when we're talking about the ordinances, that comes from what we'd also call the sacraments, from that word of sacramentum. But we kind of steer clear of that because there can be some kind of fuzzy definitions within that. Um, as far as like maybe perhaps some of the meanings that Roman Catholicism can hold upon that. And so we as Protestants would prefer ordinances or an order, ordering. So we have baptism. And like I said, we kind of, we bridged into that, covered that last time. Really great discussion. Oh, 10. There you go. Uh, mine's like page 21. Um, so, <laughs> but today, so we are talking about the Lord's Supper and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Okay. And this is one I think, as a whole, we're fairly, I feel, in our church, um, we're very familiar with. I mean, it's something that we do every week. In um, previous church that I was a part of, it was kind of done maybe quarterly. So it wasn't too crazy common that we would do it. And then I think towards the end of Lauren and I's time there, as we were preparing to move here, it was done maybe monthly or so. It's done in a variety of fashions. For instance, here, as you guys will know, we have the plates. We used to pass them, but now we kind of have the tables and everything. Um, like we used to have our ushers, and it was really funny. One of my uncles, um, he he was one of the ushers, and so I always asked him what it's kind of like handing the the plate off, right? And he would say, every once in a while, you get that little kid on the end who's like, you know, and you're like, oh, don't drop it, please. Um, but they got to pass it. So we don't do that anymore. But a number of ways you can do it. For instance, some churches, like what I said, Lauren and I's previous church, you would literally have couples at the front of the um, sanctuary. And then there was a kind of bowl of broken pieces of bread. And you take one of those and dip it in a cup, that kind of thing. I mean, it can be done a variety of ways. But when we talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper, we see this kind of taking its place, obviously, at what? In the Bible with Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's where Jesus is with his disciples, and they're celebrating. Does anybody kind of remember? I'll give a pop quiz. What Jewish festival are they celebrating at the time that the Lord institutes the Last Supper? Anybody? Passover. 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 There you go. From several. All right. So, yeah, they are partaking of Passover at the time. And this is where Jesus uses this moment where they're celebrating the command of the Lord to celebrate Passover. And he, in essence, transforms Passover into what now we celebrate as communion. And we're very familiar with uh, many of the passages. Like I said, mentioned Matthew, Mark. We see it also echoed in 1 Corinthians with Paul. And we'll look at that um, chapter 11 here in a little bit when we kind of talk about it a little bit more. But we see Jesus say in Luke 22:20, and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood so jesus is doing something new something new is about to take place i.e the old covenant is now going away and he's ushering the new covenant this is a monumental moment right because with passover the point of passover for the jews is it is a time of remembrance of their deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. That is what they are doing, right? You may very well remember that the last plague that was kind of to take place is where the Lord takes the firstborn. And then you have that sacrificial lamb being commanded to be slaughtered, and then you have them taking the blood and putting it on the lintel of the door. And if, as the word says, I believe, uh, the verbiage is the destroyer, i.e. the angel of the Lord sees that, and then he passes over and doesn't enter in and take the firstborn. Right? So it's a time of rich symbolism, it's a time of rich remembrance, and it's something that they're commanded to do. But Jesus takes this moment and then institutes what we call the Lord's Supper, and we now call communion. Okay? So, um, rich overtones, for sure. 
and it's enacted. And so when we talk about this new covenant, as Jesus just said, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant. Where covenant would be instituted is through the shedding of blood, loss of life, right? And we see that pinnacled in Christ's sacrificial work on the cross as payment for our sins, is where he dies the death that we deserve, pays for our sins, right? So this new covenant has now been made, right? So in a nutshell, it's kind of like what we're looking at with the Lord's Supper. And if you kind of look in your handout there, you're going to see kind of a big chart, okay? And this primarily gives kind of the four distinct views in Christendom as a whole of how the Lord's Supper is kind of viewed and celebrated. And this can get kind of complex and deep real fast. But let's kind of go over this and maybe ask some questions of this. But as I go through each of these, and as we kind of conversate, think in your minds, which do you think, biblically speaking, is the view to hold to? All right? Now, the first view, and some of you may be familiar with this, is transubstantiation. Okay, this is largely held within the Roman Catholic Church. And this is where that the bread and the wine, for us the bread and the juice, literally change into the body and blood of Christ. There's a literal transformation okay, of this. Now within this, the significance of it is that the recipient partakes of Christ and who is repetitively being sacrificed at the Mass. This is a repetitious sacrificing of Christ every time the Mass is instituted. So it's a little bit different than what we celebrate here, right? I'd say probably very, very different. Now, consubstantiation. I'd say, oh, what's the difference here? Well, so this is predominantly celebrated in the Lutheran Church. Now here, the bread and the wine contain the body and blood of Christ. But they would argue not literally change. Okay, so Christ is, as they would say, actually present. He is in, with, and under the elements. Okay, now I'm going to ask you if you have questions about this here in a second. So let me finish the chart, and if you're thinking of one, go ahead and ask it, and I'll do my best. So here we go. Okay, so with this, the recipient receives forgiveness of sins and confirms one's faith through partaking of the elements, but they must receive through faith. So at least we see there, it's like, okay, at least we're getting faith there. Right? That's a good thing. Now, we also have the Reformed position, and this is um, largely held by, we would say, Calvin. Um, this is kind of his idea, and that is that Christ is not literally present in the elements, but there is a spiritual presence of Christ. So the recipient receives grace through partaking of the elements. I'm going to pause here, because think a visual. Sometimes I'll so what I think we kind of are dealing with here is we get on this spectrum of literal kind of to spiritual. Okay? Let's kind of get this. So I didn't mean to do it that way, but we'll work with that. Okay, so, um, so we have like kind of the literal to spiritual scale, if you will. Now, on this frame, this is where you kind of view the Catholic view, okay, literally changing into the body and blood of Christ. Sacraments have been changed. Then you kind of have this, perhaps you could say quasi-middle ground, and that's where you would place consubstantiation or the Lutheran view. So we'll put Luther here with the, the concept. It's a big word. I ran out of room. So then at the far end you're going to have probably where Calvin's going to hang out, okay? And this is the Reformed view. Okay? So you're going to have the Reformed view. And you're like, wait a minute, there's four. There is four, right? So this is where you also have the memorial view. And this would be held by Zwingli, Ulrich Zwingli, another Swiss reformer at the time of Luther, um, it's interesting because he and Luther actually kind of debated back and forth. So those can be kind of an interesting conversations and arguments to look at. So with Zwingli, he said, away with all of you, it's, it's none of this. 
It is sheerly Christ is not present physically or spiritually. The recipient is simply commemorating the death of Christ. This is a memorial. This is a time that we remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Okay? Gabe. So he's not on the scale. He's not on the scale. Yeah. So, you know, Zwingli didn't want to hang out with the club. He said no. And he went no. Right? So this, we put him like here or somewhere. However you want to place him. Okay? So he said, I don't want to, I don't want to go anywhere with that. Okay? So. Oh, we got a question. Yes. So, um, it's baptism Mennonite. So memorial generally means like after someone's dead. So does that mean that they believe that Christ didn't like come back? Or that they wouldn't hold to the resurrection? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, they would still hold to the resurrection. When we think of memory, think of memorial pointing towards memory. We are yeah. remembering. I mean, you could probably say that, well, yes, Christ did die. So we do, in a sense, have a memorial. But we don't reject the resurrection yeah. by any shape or form. I was just confused because like, yeah. I see memorial, it's usually just for someone who's dead. Yeah, like he stayed dead. No. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't hold to that. Okay. They would say, no, he, he was resurrected. So I know you're like bringing in really complex issues and shoving them into one sentence. So you sure. know, like this could just be me misreading that one sentence. Um, but it says here that uh, in the Reformed, uh, the recipient receives grace through the partaking of the elements. Uh-huh. Um, and so, is this somehow saying? Is this like? It's part of the process of sanctification because you receive grace um, specifically through the action of taking the elements. Uh-huh. And in what way does, um, if, if taking the elements as an action is considered worthy of gaining grace, uh-huh. like, what, what, does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean for, for grace through faith alone? just overall. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. No, you're, you're doing great with that. I think that's questions even I asked of myself because let's be honest, do we adhere to pretty much any of these except for one? Tail end one, right? We are more on the memorial side of things. Um, within each of these views, I kind of notice it's like what is being gained what's being taken. And so I think there is an element within each of these that something is acquired, perhaps. So maybe the verbiage here. And to your question, how would, for instance, Calvin tackle the grace question? Like, do I actually gain <clears throat> grace through it? You know, I'll be honest, I'm not sure I could fully answer you. I would need to study Calvin more. Um, I don't know, Dave, if you could chime in on that or had a better view of maybe what, how that grace aspect would function. Well, I think um, back in the medieval days, I mean, when everything was in Latin, the only thing that the parishioner really had a chance to participate in was communion or the Lord's Supper. And so it really became like this huge means of grace. Or you are actually eating Christ's body and you're actually drinking his blood. It's just this sacred thing that to be, have that be withheld from you is to have heaven withheld from you. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was the means by which you're getting grace. So you can kind of see how... It was seen that way. It was seen that way. Yeah. It was perceived that way, caught that way. So Luther and Calvin were moving away from that. So I think they were moving in the right direction and making some modifications to the status quo. Um, but I think sometimes when you do that, you, I mean, they just couldn't break the whole idea of the sacrament. Um, so I, I, I'm sympathetic because they're going in the right direction. I just didn't think they went far enough. And what Swingley did was super radical yeah. to the point where he recanted at the end because he was under such societal pressure um, to, uh, in holding that opinion, so so it seems common now, and it's easier for us kind of detached from history to do that. But I think in the moment, that's kind of where they were. Yeah, and I think that's something that maybe we can't mentally grasp right now. Is for instance, the mass was so integrated into the society, and then to be say you commit X, Y, or Z thing, or you see said ruler, king, whatever, 
be committing or going off in X, Y, or Z function, and the Pope threatens excommunication, mm -hmm. that translates, you can no longer take of the sacrament. Yeah. Uh, and they would be like, well, okay, I'm sorry. Like, you know, that's how deep and ingrained it was within the society. It was devastating. And largely because they had to, the Catholic Church's goal was to keep people dependent on the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Your sins aren't forgiven unless you confess them to a priest and are absolved by the priest. You don't get grace unless you show up at the Mass and mm -hmm. eat Jesus. So, like, there's no way that you can have grace apart from the Church. So for Zwingli to come in and say, you are all priests, and grace is available to all of us because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. is is not just a radical idea, but also like undermines the authority of the church in their mind and the, the necessity of it. It's almost like an insult. Yeah, it was like it's a like, political statement too. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. I've seen all along the spectrum where communion is taken by, I think it's called intinction, where the body is dipped in the, the bread is dipped in the, the wine or the grape juice. Does that change? Does that add or change the, the meaning at all, or is that just like a cultural? Like, why do we dip? Yeah, why of? do some dip? Why to dip or not to dip? You know, like what? <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. You know, I never put that together. That's a good question. And yet there, I, I've noticed that they're always like make a point to say, here, we take it by intention. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It's so we're circling the idea that mass manipulation was taking place in order for people to believe they needed it in order to receive grace. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's very shocking. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, for us, I think with the way we understand things, that is, like, it's like, whoa, pump the brakes. Like, did you just say, like, my sins, me going up front, Taking of these elements, I receive forgiveness because what we would call that an act, right? I mean, where's my heart involved in that? Where's my dedication to the Lord? Where's my faith, right? Where's my true repentance within all of that? I mean, it really does mean that then I could do something. I could physically do something to bring about my salvation. Go far enough with it, right? So... Just to maybe defend my Reformed brothers a little bit. <laughs> There's a difference between uh, the Catholic view of receiving grace that saves you and the Reformed view. They're not talking about grace in terms of salvific grace. That you're being saved by taking the Lord's table. There's some sense of maybe a, a blessing of God being with you in a particular way. Um, and I don't think it's simply the idea that, and maybe there's probably a, a range on this, but that by taking the Lord's table, the act is, made, is earning you grace in some way. It's kind of like when we join with the church, we experience God's grace in a particular way, his, his favor, as we hear his words, respond to him. So more, I think, an expression of faith, as he identify with Jesus and his death and resurrection. In that sense, there is a special level of uh, favor upon you that's undeserved, mm -hmm. and it's expressed by partaking of the Lord's table. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it gets a little bit fuzzy in there what exactly that means, but it's very different than the Roman Catholic view that actually brings salvific grace that actually saves you from condemnation. Uh, it's more uh, relational strengthening grace in the Reformed world. Yeah, that's really good. And that's the interesting thing about all of these views is if you really kind of take some time and you do some research and you look into them, they're fairly fascinating, truthfully. Be, be aware, right? And so I would, I think you guys are all mature enough that I think you could listen to or look at some of these doctrines and you'd kind of be like, no, I, no, I can't agree with that, or I know I can't agree with that. But I think it does then inform you of like, oh, so that's how you went from A to B, and now you're at C. Oh, okay, now I understand. But that I would encourage you in the regards of that helps your communication level. Okay, so for instance, like with consubstantiation, that being the Lutheran view, one thing I learned really quick, Lutherans are not a fan of you using that word. They are like, we Did don't use it? that word. What's that? Did you try it? Yeah, no, yeah. It didn't work out so well, so. Yeah. <laughs> for those who don't have a Catholic background, I know in, in Mexico City, if you went to the cathedral or any Catholic church, when they actually turn the, 
the bread into Jesus' body, it's actually sitting there in a little like mm-hmm. box for a while before they eat it. And so they'll actually worship the bread mm-hmm. in the box while it's there. They'll actually have a candle lit to let you know that Jesus' body is literally there. So they're not talking about in some spiritual sense that's generic. They, they literally worship the bread in the box while it's there because God is physically present at that moment. Mm-hmm. That's how they view it. Yeah. Judy. I am finished. Sure. Um, as somebody you know, I was involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses when I was married to my first husband. And their view of communion, and I want to know where it would fall in the spectrum other than the fact that we do know that they're a cult. Um, they take communion once a year and their feeling is that you only take communion if you feel that you're convinced you're of the 144,000 that's going to go to heaven. Uh, That's kind of our deal. (laughs) <laughs> or a bold statement, right? Like, I'm going to go, not you. <laughs> right? And yet they they go door to door with their gospel tracts and want you to be part of this, but yet if 144,000 is all that's going to heaven, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you do, right? Yeah. It leaves a massive question. Why are they wanting you to go in case you'd knock them out of their chance of going to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I always thought it was peculiar when they had their communion. Nobody partook of communion. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they didn't want to put themselves on the spot of saying, I'm holier than you because I'm going to heaven. Kind of more so of a reason why. So where would you put them in this? Within this? Outside of the box? <laughs> I, I would, yeah, I would probably say we're, we're well outside that realm. I mean, if you think even, I don't know that there's a biblical mentioning of any kind of number that they could perhaps base off of. I'm trying to think where their logic could base itself. But Revelation. Is that where they're getting it? Okay. Okay. Put it in a different box, burn the box. So. But their, their problem isn't so much their <coughs> failure to understand the, actually, the Lord's table. It's it is. It's a different box because their understanding of Christ Himself yeah. Yeah. Um, is is so fundamentally different. It's, we could kind of say we stepped off the board. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're on we're on board number two. Flip the side over. Kind of thing. So, we got we got some other big big problems, right? So, yeah. There's a belief they've convinced themselves that there will they will not be of the one hundred forty four thousand if they don't go door to door. But if they do, there's a schism inside and a, and a feeling of, okay, I'm helping somebody else potential. And they can never get past that. And that's, that's sad. And I think this is kind of showing, it is good to look at what others believe and do your research, don't assume um, sometimes we can do more damage than good if we just assume and jump towards and oh you you're this and we slap that label on them boom conversation's done right so we need to be humble because also we got to remember that apart from the grace of God there go I right I'd make an excellent pagan so just saying right so just double checking though 144,000 of those remain during the tribulation right and of the um, Hebrew tribes? You know, and I'll be honest, we're a little bit outside probably of my realm of knowledge without further study. I don't think I'd want to necessarily answer answer in that regard without 
some it's further study. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> this, is, this is in the next class, Eschatology 101. <laughs> Dr. Dave. So hold that question and bring that next week. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. So this is going back to the box thing. Okay. <laughs> back to the box. So, like, is that why, like, at Catholic, like, um, funerals and weddings that I've been to, like, they specifically state, like, you need to be Catholic to, like, do the Lord's Supper thing with all the smoke and mirrors and whatnot? You kind of hear the murmurs, yeah. Okay. I was always a little confused, but I was like, eh, whatever. I'm just here. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, I mean, you think about when we offer communion, we, we, we make a, a statement to clarify who, who should take of it, right? Not just members of our church, but those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So yeah, each, each church gives a, like, who is this for, right? I kind of I think that's what we're getting to, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what confused me, because, like, here we always said, like, all believers can, and they, like, were always like, you are a Catholic and in good standing. If you're like divorced or something, then you can't because you don't get that grace anymore. But that's why they think it actually is doing something. Yeah, so let's kind of bridge into this uh, next section here as far as the participants of the Lord's Supper, kind of that how and the who, right? So... Obviously, the most instructive passage that we kind of get with this is that 1 Corinthians um, 11 that I mentioned earlier, um, 27 through 32. So I'm going to go ahead and read this aloud here, and let's kind of walk our way through some, some questions, okay? So 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment on himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many, of, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So that first question, how can one eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner? What do you guys think? You purposely not examine. Proper examination of oneself. Flippant manner. Mm-hmm. Go up there. Take it. Next is snack time and fellowship. Yeah. Causing um, disunity. That, that's kind of what's going on here in First Corinthians. Um, and you know, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we all, even though we don't all take it in unison, we all do take it at same general time, it's an expression of all of our um, collective identification in Christ and collective receiving of, of, of the grace that is symbolized in the elements, not that they give us grace, but we've all received grace through the body and blood of Christ. And as we take that in unity, um, um, if there are factions, if there are divisions, if we're causing, if we're causing those, then we're kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouths at that point and dishonoring what we're doing. Yeah, and Tanner, I think you're hitting on key notes because those of you that are kind of familiar with First Corinthians in this section, in particular, is the Corinthian church 
It's having a rough go of it. It was divisive. It was split up. It was argumentative. And that's a lot of what Paul is addressing in the letter, amongst other things. But if you were to open your Bibles and you kind of back up to verse 17, and I'll kind of read some of this to kind of give that segue into these passages, but you hear some of this note of what Paul's addressing. He says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions, there you go, Tanner, among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So this is where then Paul bridges into kind of what we read before. For I see from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And I'm going to go ahead and, well, yeah, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have this picture of the Corinthian church, and reading some commentators and stuff on this, there's this idea that there are, there's this splitting that's happened. And some will put forward the idea, I think it's MacArthur in particular, that you have some who arrive to this feast. And back in the early church, you would normally have a kind of a feast, a potluck dinner. Everybody would bring together what they have, right? And it would be a celebration of the church, kind of like our potlucks, right? We all bring together, we share, we have fellowship. There's that communion amongst the saints, right? And so at this moment, when we're all gathered together as a church, or they would be all together as a church, one of the final acts that they would do is commence with the Lord's Supper. So it's a little bit different than what we have today, right? And then as time evolved, you would see that throughout the church's kind of um, quasi-form into a difference of like somebody would maybe give them, uh, they would have a meal, they would take of the Lord's Supper, and then somebody would maybe give a message, and very shortly you can kind of see the structure of which we follow today, right? We do that. We sing songs, we have communion, we have fellowship, and then we have a sermon as the tail end there, right? We hear from the Word of God. But within this, within the Corinthian church, you have this divisiveness and Perhaps it could be the fact that he says some are getting drunk. So that's on one polar opposite scale, right? This wonderful potluck meal that should be happening. Some folks are arriving early. Maybe it's the rich. They're smashing the food. They're going through the wine, and they're just taking in extreme excesses to where there's drunkenness in it. Can you imagine if one of our potlucks, I was that toasted, so to speak? Like, that's bad, right? And that's why Paul's like, what? Like, this is, he's, I, I just wonder if he's like vibrating, right? <laughs> when he's hearing this, and he wants them to stop this. This is not what the Lord's Supper is about. But the other problem of it is, is that you have some that are going hungry. Some of them, they've already eaten. Then the poor arrive, and they oh, sorry, it's all going, right? That shows no love for your neighbor. Shows no love for the church. That shows no love for the Lord. What should be community, what should be loving and taking all together, is become a travesty and an utter wreck. Okay. And then, and then what they would do at the end of that is take communion. Yeah. Hey, let you know what celebrate yeah. our unity. Let's talk about the unity. Yeah. 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 It's out, right? Far be it from us. Okay. So. Did not control. Yeah. Not good, not good, not good. Okay. So what are some of the consequences of not taking the Lord's Supper in a right manner? Let me see there. Looking around in verse 30. What do we see? Just went to the hard one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Some of them have been 
become weak. Some of them have been inflicted with sickness. And some of them have literally been put to death. And this is not a fan favorite, right? But it shows the severity of which we should take of the Lord's Supper. This is a serious matter. But I do like the tail end here, right? It says, but when you are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the, the world. So there's this idea that this has gotten so bad, some of them are messing this up so terrible that Paul's like, look, the Lord's kind of taking you physically by death out of the equation so you will stop sinning. And that can be a hard notion, but we've heard that before, right? Like, guys, you probably have heard this at some of your men's events that a guy may feel so strongly that he'll say, like, I would rather the Lord hit me with a bus than I cheat on my wife, right? But there's some truth in that. We should take sin to be as heinous as it truly is, and we don't want any part of it. So much so that we would say, Lord, I'd rather you take me out of the equation than I offend you anymore. I think it's an interesting um, aspect where uh, so often the Lord, especially I mean, in the New Testament that I've seen, where the Lord striking someone down isn't exactly like a sign of grace. Um, and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding. Uh, I'm not saying at all that you were wrong. I'm just curious. Um, so are, are what you're is what you're asserting that that God um, putting these people, I don't want to say put, putting them down, because that sounds like an animal, but the Lord removing them from the equation, as you put, um, are you stating that that was, rather than a, a just a striking down thing, that was actually like a mercy thing? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so yeah. them not so them taking the the you know the Lord's supper, taking that time and, and you know ruining it and doing it in an unworthy manner, that wasn't that wasn't sacrilegious enough to like did they still have faith. I'm I'm just a little bit like it's extreme, isn't it? Yeah. It, this is kind of a passage that I think. Perhaps all of us, we're going to take communion here in a little while, aren't we? Right? And we're like, okay, like, maybe I should pass, right? I think that's why sometimes maybe we can give edification to passing of the plate. And I want to bridge this carefully, so if you need to interject here. But I think we do examine ourselves before we take communion. And so for us to say, be caught in habitual sin, I know I'm sinning. I want to stop sinning, and I'm going to also go take the Lord's table. Is highly offensive to the Lord, to where you do see His judgment enacted, right? And we can't necessarily put a thumb on that because this is bridging into what He so wishes He will do. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. And so we just need to make sure that we see the severity. I think within the passage, we acknowledge what is being done, and we, we say yes. That is true. I should take communion seriously. I will. Yeah, I think in today's culture, there's a lack of a fear of God, an understanding of who God is, the respect, the awe that he deserves. Um, Another, like in my life, I think in pertaining to communion, um, an unworthy manner would be like a careless attitude, just doing it for tradition because that's what something we have to do. I think that treats God also with a lack of respect and honor um, and can lead to that. I mean, we're not getting drunk at communion, but just doing it because going through the motions is such a disrespect for God and what he did for us on the cross. So um, to me, that that's my danger. I, I want to repent of that and be able to bow my heart in humility and say, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this, uh, what you did for me, but thank you so much for your sacrifice. Yeah. And I think it is an excellent type of joke. Yeah. I have a question. So if a Christian or a believer does go to take communion, but they have unrepentant sin in their life, and so they know that, is that the time to repent right then, or should they abstain from communion and repent at a later time, or like, hmm. and wait a week, or, you know, whatever? Yeah. Like, is there... 
Zoom, yeah. like, yeah. give it five minutes next week, I'll catch up. Yeah. Kinda, I think um, repentance is, like, if you need to repent, repent, right? You're not given the next second in your life. We don't know when our time is up or when the Lord will return. So I think anytime we can repent or realize we should repent, we should repent. Now, I will say, I think there is something to be said that, for instance, I know, for instance, in, like, my own heart, certain... You could say, like, situations, or sensei is, like, anger, right? It's something that's like, Lord God, internally, I am messed up. I am just furious right now with X, Y, or Z thing. And I know, like, I've talked with my wife. I'm one of those that it's like, I have to pray to God, and then I have to pray he will move me out of my sin, of my anger, of my emotion, or something like that. Like, sometimes we can't just clap our hands and say, I'm good right it's i think that dejects our emotional state so to speak so i think in that instance maybe you do need to be in prayer and say lord i am submitting to you i know that this is sin and i wish to give it up completely and then ask him it's like but lord in my current state am i should i still partake this morning right or do i need to give this more time I pray that you will work within me. I pray that you will forgive me of this. I don't want it, but I need you to move me past it. And if today, Lord, you need me to not partake so that I can partake freely in a worthy manner after I've made amends with whoever I'm having the issue with, then, Lord, maybe I do it then. But I am not in wanting to be in disobedience. Does, does that make sense? The contriteness of your heart? That sometimes it's, it's okay, I think. Yeah, because like I was we, thinking, like sometimes as believers, like we go through like long-term battles. Mm-hmm. Like, so if somebody struggles with anger for a period of time, like a few years, like they probably don't need to abstain from communion for two years. But as exactly. long yes. as like they're coming every week or month, or whenever they're taking it, and like having that heartfelt like repentance, yeah, and prayer to the Lord. I'm, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, is that the key? I'm guessing. Yeah, and I think what you said there is key. It's not, we, if, if there is an abstinence, we don't want that to be a long-term abstinence, right? We don't say, well, I'm still angry. I'm just not going to take communion today. I'm not going to take communion tomorrow. We're never going to be perfect, right? But we know that we still struggle with sin. We're still in a sin-ridden body. But internally, by the convictions of the Holy Spirit working within us, he convicts us of our sins, and we recant of those sins. But we still may partake, and then maybe it's the Lord's doing that by the time we get back to the seat. He's like, what about this? And that's when we say, oh, Lord, no, I, I don't, I repent, right? It's his so doing. Does that help? Yeah. So, like, the, you would abstain, like, if you're not in a repentant state, mm-hmm. which is obviously, like, hard to admit. If yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not ready to repent right now. Like, that's kind of... That's, that's for that guy. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two things. One, I think part of the Lord's table is I, I'm saying I, I identify with Jesus and his death and resurrection. I'm his and he is mine. So to say that, but then say that I'm going to continue in unrepentant sin, those are contrary things. Mm-hmm. And that's a, sort of a, a blasphemous sort of attitude, right? Uh, so that, that's why I think what the concern would be. But I do want to go back to what was said earlier by you and Tanner that while there's an evaluation of the heart here, an examination, the entire context of the examination is interpersonal relationship in the body of Christ. Because he goes back to it in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. He goes back again to that. And I think our evangelical tradition tends to focus so much on personal, private, individual sin at the Lord's table. We've actually almost entirely missed that the primary focus is the relationship of the body of Christ as a people. So when you come to the Lord's table, I see the primary question is, do I have conflict with a brother or sister around me, then go make it right. So and I think we lose that. It's easier to think about my private individual sin. I was angry one time or selfish. And those, those, that matters. But we don't tend to think of how we treat one another at, as being as serious as Paul says it is here. That when I have conflict with one another, when I'm mistreating a brother, when I'm demeaning a brother or sister, when I'm looking down on them and not waiting for them, when I'm not honoring them, that could get me killed, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what yeah. God is, is making really clear here. It's a community dynamic. So if something comes to mind, if you hurt, damage, demean a brother or sister, make it right, then drink the wine. 
I think. I think another thing is um, there have been times that there have been times I've abstained, and I think it was more, I know that I have sin going on, but I'm not exactly sure which all the aspects of this sin are. Um, and so I think, I think the, my question is, let's say I'm, I'm struggling with anger, um, or I'm struggling with conflict, but I know the root reason is anger, um, but I know that there's some uh, something else that's involved, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, and I'm trying to think through this, and the music is playing, and it's time for everybody who believes to go get the, the you know, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, I mean, in that sort of situation, you know, you're you're trying to figure out, <laughs> like. Um, like the clock's ticking, dude. I gotta go. Like either if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Um, no, so so is it is it? I, I don't know if you know, obviously you don't want to continue to abstain, mm -hmm. um, but I think this is a continuation of Joe's question, which is if I'm if I'm trying to figure out, man, like I don't know exactly what sin, like I don't know what aspects of sin I'm dealing with right now, and I don't know how to appropriately <laughs> repent at this time. Even if you're even if you're willing to repent, but you're not sure like what aspects. Um, it's important to repent of. Is that like? Is that? Is it appropriate to like not take the Lord's Supper? Is it a, appropriate to abstain? Yeah. Jeremiah seventeen seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. If you, you can overthink yourself into sin. <laughs> you can overthink it. So trust him. He has finished the work. If you. Yeah. I would say there there could be a temptation that. I don't feel forgiven until I do something about it. Hmm. That's almost penitential. And isn't it enough to know that you just confessed and you got right between you and the Lord and that you really are forgiven? Um, I think there would be a place to, okay, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to have this conversation. You know, resolve to have this conversation. Then if the, by the nice thing about doing it every week is if next week you haven't done it, then it's like, you probably should skip it this time. <laughs> Does that make sense? So I think there's probably a place to, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I am forgiven between the Lord and I'm gonna pursue this relationship afterwards and try to make it right. But yeah, I would just be careful to make not taking communion like an act of penance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, yeah, that's good. Okay, with our few minutes remaining here, um, we have this little bit on church discipline okay i want to just kind of bridge into this as we kind of finish up the church here but it is um though this is not an ordinance because we i didn't list it with baptism in the lord's supper right so but this is something that we do in the church as far as church discipline goes right jesus clearly commands that a local church is to engage in this practice in his first command to the church now we read in matthew 18 15 through 18 i think this is kind of kind of a uh core verse I think in our church because our elders instruct us to go back to one another but let me go ahead and read this so if your brother sins go and show him his fault in private if he listens to you you have won your brother but if he does not listen to you take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So there is this command that we should, as a community, right? If we're going to commune with one another, we also need to, if we see sin within another, that there is a position that we are to confront one another about that. But look at the wordage. Did you catch the first thing, right? If your brother sins, go and show his fault what? in private and did you detect it's you and him it's not hey i heard bob was doing this thing and man i don't no if you see it and it's like lord am i seeing correctly right that goes back to the remove what the log in your eye before you go and remove the speck in your own you need to self-examine yourself too but we should lovingly be pointing out sin to be there within one another but we do it gracefully grace 
gracefully, gently, with dignity, one-on-one, -on -one, right? And then it only escalates. That's when you would, like, that's where we talk about the one or two more with you, right? Bringing another fellow brother or sister um, and kind of be like, seek counsel, go to that person again and chat about it. But it's not gossipy. It's not slanderous. It's with the desired effect, even if it goes all the way up to for us here at Flint Hills, if the elders have to bring it to the church as a whole at one of our meetings of restoration. We don't want sin to be in our fellow brothers and sisters, right? And so we take it seriously and we do do it, right? And I've said this before, I think I said it a while back, but anytime that we've seen this actually go all the way up to said elder, I think one thing that's ironic is sometimes I, for instance, didn't know. Because I may not have known that person one, right? But I think that speaks volumes to the fact that it's not this ugly, gossipy thing that everybody already knows about. Sometimes it's their shock. It's like, uh, I did not know, right? And that could speak volumes to the proper procedure of seeking out, going one on one, going, you know, two to one, that kind of idea, right? And then finally it's brought up to the elders. But my point in it being is that one comfort that I've always taken when any time I've seen the church discipline being enacted is whichever elder has that hard task they are never joyous about it um, you can usually tell there's a deep emotional response there's a severe severity I think the room's like dead quiet right it's hard and we don't like it we don't perhaps say want to do it but we know we are commanded to do it okay so I'm going to go ahead and close up here. We're at 10 o'clock, so I'll kind of leave a bombshell for you guys. But next week, if you guys have any questions, by the way, by all means, ask you know myself or one of the elders, Dave Scott. Um, we kind of covered that. But next week, bridging into end times, eschatology. So bring your questions. <laughs> Let me go ahead and pray for us, okay? Father God, we do thank you um, very much for this time. Lord, um, your communion is extremely important. And Father God, I think one thing that has opened my eyes as I've gotten to study these things is I'm learning so much more about what I thought was, what I thought I knew, and then I find out I didn't. And Lord, that's such a blessing. But Lord, it is also in a manner simplistic. We are remembering your death on the cross as full payment for our sins, Lord Jesus, and we proclaim it, we affirm it, and may it never grow dull in our minds and may it always produce in us a well of thanksgiving and good when we partake may we partake as one body and lord please um, convict us where we have sin and lord may we not wish to hold on to sin and if we have offended a fellow brother may we go and make things right and may we think the best of one another to your glory father and um Lord, just please guide us, direct us, be with us in the worship hour, and we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.